to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And this week we're talking about Scream 2, directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, released December 12th, 1997. Yeah. This is a fun movie. This is a fun movie. Uh, before we get into this, we did have a request from Kendra on, tw- Kendra on Twitter uh, for our favorite uh, horror movies. Do you want to do that now or at the end? Uh, let's do it at the end because... Okay. I have a lot. You have a lot. Okay. Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna list titles, because um, Kendra, you need to narrow it down when you say horror. There's so many, oh, yeah, so I did many it. splinters. Subject, I think I have six. Yeah, which is totally fine. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let me move that to the end then. Anyhow, Scream Two, seminal movie of our youth. Yes. Very impactful. Yes. Shall we begin? Uh, yes, please. Am I going first? Uh, I'll go. I'll try to be quick. Um, which again, just as a reminder, <laughs> we watched this in Seattle in a hotel room because we got the free like pay-per-view or whatever. There are um, so many inside jokes I want to bring up from that, but I know that nobody listening cares, you know? Yeah. And, and there's... like the toilet seat with piss all over it. <laughs> Whoa, you got to step back a little. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. A, so many. Um, which someday we should just do a podcast of our inside jokes that nobody gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, no hyperbole. I would say it changed my life somewhat. Um, it made me appreciate movies in a different way. At least the whole 90s homage thing, I think, came together for me with Scream 2. Much more so, again, to rather than like arch-villain Tarantino's oeuvre, um, I saw the beauty of like taking the past and like, and referencing it, but not quoting it directly and improving upon it. But anyways, for the longest time, I thought this movie, I thought of Scream was probably the better movie and Scream 2 was just more fun. Um, rewatching it, I I wouldn't say that necessarily. I would say Scream 2 comes off to me very strong. Um, and, and in doing so, it works incredibly well, especially because it has that self-awareness that it is a sequel. Um, it has that special place where it's a shameless cash grab, but it becomes this existential deja vu nightmare murder scape for its characters and and uses the idea of like modern horror the then modern horror as almost like this postmodern satire um it makes a lot of bold statements about sequels maybe it has some flaws i guess i just appreciate them you know warts and all um but i think a lot of movie series wish they had a follow-up this strong that's my piece all right yeah, um, this movie is just so much fun. I mean, to me, I still think it's fair to say this movie isn't quite as good as the first screen, but I think it's maybe more entertaining. Uh, classic sequel, body counts bigger, death scenes are much more elaborate. There is a little bit of a kind of disease of more thing going on where it's like you got your four main characters you bring back and then you have a bunch of new characters too for cannon mm. fodder. And I think inevitably there are some characters who just don't get very fleshed out at all. Um, so even though there's more kills, you don't feel them quite as much. Um, also, and I think Kevin Williamson in this had a little bit better of a handle on what to do with Gail and her arc with Dewey than uh, he did with Sydney. But even with that, very entertaining movie. I'd say easily one of the best horror movie sequels out there. Um, and yeah, you know, on a personal note, I watched this movie many, many, many times in the summer before going off to college. I was very surprised to learn that film school was not actually just sitting around making movie references with a bunch of film nerds. That was a big disappointment. <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of illusions were shattered that were created by this movie. 
<laughs> well, I think probably also that this this perpetuates the idea of the super literate nerd, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like who's who knows their shit. And I don't think a lot of people who go off to film school even have that personally oh, developed man. like could, like base of knowledge. I could talk for a while about the fuckers I went to film school with. God, what a bunch of pretentious tools. Instead, let's do top moments. <laughs> Got any honorable mentions? I have three. I do as well. Uh, I'll bet, I'll bet s- we're going to have some similar ones. I bet we are. My number six is cheating. Uh, I'm just going to keep it simple. The entire ending. <laughs> that is cheating, yes. Um, I just love it so much. And I can't wait till we actually get to that part of, of our general discussion. But I just want to say it felt so important to me that I wanted to make it an honorable mention number six. Okay. Well... I have mine numbered one, two, three. But anyways, if we call this one our honorable mention, you know, ranking number six, the dress rehearsal play attack. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say when I watched this in the past, that didn't seem as interesting to me as it does now. I think I know a little bit more about Cassandra and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate what's going on a little more and just the, you know, the staginess of everything. It's very cool. And the music is good. That's Danny Elfman did the score for just that little part. So just that the the score of this movie is this bizarre hodgepodge. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have you have bits from Hans Zimmer's score for Broken Arrow, which oh, becomes the Dewey Love theme, which I can't wait to talk about. But yeah, just just the uh, Cassandra aria by Danny Elfman there. That's mm-hmm. a great sequence just for for pacing and it. It, it sells the psychological nature of, of Sydney's plight more so than the scene of David Warner preceding it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, the like, scene with the drama coach is whatever, but when they actually do the, the play, it's good. Um, so my number five <laughs> is, you know, we, we get the establishing pot shot of one of those sorority parties of some dudes actually doing like a keg stand in a backyard. Mm-hmm. Then we, we see Sydney under the wing of the sisters and just the, the, the dialogue there is so perfect slice of life. Everybody thinks the sororities are only about blowjobs, but that's just not true. And first of all, it's Rebecca Gaghart and Portia de Rossi, which is mm-hmm. so nice. We only promote safe condom sex. We're about love, respect, and responsibility. And then Rebecca Gaghart says, harmonica style is okay, right? And Portia de Rossi counters with, oh, yeah. And then Randy shows up with drinks, this like guilty look on his face. And Sydney says, what took you so long? And he just slinks away. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Trying that. to make you suspicious. Yeah. Well, it's like, like suspicion of him being a killer wasn't my first thought, actually. Mm-hmm. At their okay. martini and blowjob mixer. <laughs> I'm trying to, I know Rebecca Gayhart at this point was the Noxima girl. I'm trying to remember if we'd seen Portia de Rossi in anything else. I don't know if we had. I don't think so. This is obviously just a breath before Arrested Development. Uh, a little more than that. It was a few years, yeah. I think Rebecca Gayhart was like the villain of one of the urban legend movies. Spoiler, man. Seriously, who's going to go? Who am I spoiling urban legend for? <laughs> Someone out there is like, oh, I got to get up on all these 90s horror movies. You can see the, uh, Casey with his uh, frosted tips get killed. Uh, his frosted tips work better in uh, Cruel Intentions. Um, urban legend, the first one, is only it's only interesting, like I think, for its casting. Um, that's an interesting 90s like B cast when you have Scream as your A horror mm-hmm. movie cast. Yeah. Um, the second one's yeah. Anyway, I never saw the second one. 
directed by John Ottman. Anyway, um, next honorable mention I had is if you had a mom. <laughs> that in particular, just I, I feel at a certain point, maybe Oliphant like maybe ratchets it up too much, like when uh, when Mrs. Loomis shows up. But until then, I feel like he's just riding the wave. I mean, I have it in my notes for later, but real quick, let's just say the thing, the problem with the Oliphant character is there's so much more of him, I guess, spoiler, uh, when he's revealed to be one of the killers. You know what I mean? Like he's 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 just barely there. I felt like when you talk about like characters who are like underdeveloped of the new characters, Hallie for sure, but also Mickey um, is yeah. just there to cast the, the guilt well, the- upon Derek. I think there's a big reason for that. Um, I we'll get to it more in the general discussion, but the way this movie was written, they didn't know like these these actors didn't know who the killer was. Yeah, like it was a big secret. So there's this feeling that they all are just existing until they like in a quantum state until they can collapse into like this is the actual direction the movie's going in. Schrodinger's meta killer. Um, yeah, we'll talk about the original script too at some point. I'm sure. Because this movie's this movie began production without a finished script, mm-hmm. and I think it it does amazing considering that's usually not a good recipe. Yeah. All right. What's your last honorable mention? Uh, when Cotton shows up for that gotcha interview with Gail and Sydney, uh, and then everyone storms off, leaving Cotton behind, and he's like, "Don't walk away from me, Gail. I'm still Gail. I did my part." Yeah, he's he's this perfect like for a minute like fuddy duddy compared to the guy we saw in the video in the first one in the back of a police car looking hardcore. Um, and I had to write it down as a reminder for myself. Cotton was totally sleeping with Sydney's mom before she died. Yeah, this this guy, yeah. this guy. Uh, yeah, my honorable mention, the last one is Gail getting chased through the film department, uh, mm-hmm. and then Dewey getting attacked. Just that whole sequence, I feel like. Like they really brought something extra to that, you know those those sound recording rooms, those edit bays, those like screening rooms. That's all going to be very familiar to the filmmakers, just as part of their own job. And I feel like you got that extra layer of creativity because of that. It's yeah, it's but it's it's interesting. Like I don't think it fully comes together in a in a way that that most people recognize. But like yeah, you're going kind of deeper into the making of a movie almost. Um, and having the characters like run through that. Well, I just feel like somebody like Wes Craven has been in all of those locations a lot in his day. Yeah. And with the mind that he has and how to stage things, surely he's thought at some point or another, how would you stage, you know, some sort of horror situation in this location? And so I, I feel like you, you're getting more creativity happening there than, than some of the other attacks in this movie. Well, like Wes Craven always said, the editing room is where you murder your movie and resurrect it. He did yes, actually say, he I, always says that. I just made that quote up, but yeah. <laughs> All right, shall we get into the top? Three? What's your top three? Uh, my number three is Gail and Dewey reunited, and Dewey starts quoting parts of the book back to her. <laughs> Page thirty-two, Deputy Dewey filled the room with his Barty Pipefish presence. Page 41, Deputy Dewey ooze of inexperience. And he has this, and she has this like weak smile, like, yeah, I wrote that, but maybe also, yeah, it's still true. Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, the the line that he, it seems like even David Arquette struggles with, which is, how do you know that my dimwitted inexperience is in a subtle form of manipulation used to lower people's expectations, thereby enhancing my ability to effectively move through any given situation? There's this great back and forth between them, and she's touched by, like, you know, being reunited of his cuteness. And he kind of softens in the face of it, but is still hurt and, like, afraid she'll manipulate him again. Like, they're, they're like, the emotional core of this movie. Like you mm-hmm. said, there's so much more either – from a writing standpoint or just the fucking chemistry of these two people who are about to get married um, that works as opposed to Sydney and Derek. Yeah. Yeah. His, his whole speech he just read there. Amazing. Hilarious. Some, somehow still there's like a, an emotional aspect to it as well. You know, like if you're not smiling through that whole scene, there's something wrong with you. That's just like, pure gold you know that's mm-hmm. exactly what you want a sequel you're taking these characters and just expanding them further mm-hmm. and also suggestion that maybe Dewey's more competent than he is and maybe not <laughs> what's your uh, my number three is the escape from the wrecked cop car oh uh, yeah just that bit i mean that is just a super tense bit you know the accidentally honking on the horn crawling across i mean it's it's edge of your seat hold your breath type of moment you know like not only does she have to do it and then hallie has to do it too to get out of there yeah good stuff In, inches from Ghostface's face you can hear him breathing under there i like the um, occasional pov shot of like uh sid looking directly you know into Ghostface into the killer's eyes yeah yeah that black void but also the uh Passing by the still like gurgling dead cop who's got <laughs> yeah. the pole driven through the back of his head. That is not on my my top six at all, and it really should be. That is a great sequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, number two is it's kind of a merged bit, but the entire clip of stab and then going into Dewey and Randy examining the rules of a sequel, which, as you kind of mentioned, rule one, higher body count. Rule two, death scenes more elaborate, more blood, more gore, carnage, candy. Mm-hmm. Um, rule three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, then never, ever, and then it cuts off. Assume the killer is dead. But I mean, just the entire, I could quote it all. These, the entire exchange mm-hmm. of dialogue is fantastic. Um, love that they reference Mrs. Voorhees again in this, yeah. in this series because it becomes important. And then, of course, there's always room for Candyman's daughter. She's sweet. She's deadly. She's bad for your teeth. <laughs> Dewey like licks his own teeth, like. Mm. Well, and then when uh, when David Arquette breaks down laughing at one point because mm. he's probably like actually laughing, yeah, they skip the take. Yeah, that's a great scene. Uh, my number two is Randy killed in broad daylight. Just that whole bit where there you've got Gale and Dewey running around looking for somebody on a phone. It feels. You feel like you're in danger with Randy, but at the same time, you're thinking, like, it's broad daylight. What could happen? You know, and yet, like, slowly but surely, you keep getting these overhead shots, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like it feels like something momentous is about to occur. And so, even in the daylight, you feel so unsafe, and then it eventually does. Plus, you get Randy's great, fuck you. Love that. Um, yeah, which is why it's my number one. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole investigating people in public scene, that's, that's brilliant, though. You you know the killer is there, so of course you're going to go hit up the quad where all the people are talking on the phone. Unfortunately, you're going to send Gail and Dewey to do it, and they're just ridiculous. 
who is this? Gail Weathers, author of the Woodsboro Murders. Uh, but yeah, Randy, even though the camera is telling you he is doomed, mm. like he feels invincible. He's never flown higher. Like he's never gotten closer to the sun. Oh, yeah. This movie, this fucking movie made me think that Jamie Kennedy was cool. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we'll get into that later. But yeah, why are you even here, Randy? You'll never be a leading man. Fuck you. Um, and then, of course, his super downfall he makes a comment about billy that is earned and a bad oj simpson joke and then he's murdered um and it's interesting because his, his death is erased by the dudes bouncing around <laughs> like the boom box the weirdest fucking public dancing i've ever seen in a movie with that one dude <laughs> he's kind of like beatboxing around the corner yeah yeah um as this man is like rocking mm-hmm. uh yeah what's your number one my number one is what you mentioned. Uh, Randy and Dewey discuss suspects. I mean, that was the the trailer. Like, the, actually, it was more of a teaser really, that they put out on the home video version. The scream nice. had that, like, with just intercut with some other stuff. And I mean, that sequence is solid gold. Like that whole discussion, you know. Mm-hmm. Randy's just like, but let's forget about that because if he's a suspect, then I'm a suspect. Wait, maybe you are a suspect. Well, if well, I'm a suspect, then you're, you're a suspect. suspect. Okay, let's move on. I feel like that's you and I discussing any any true crime, real life murder that happens to us. Yes, exactly. Gotta love that sequence so much. I mean, Randy and Dewey were two of the great characters from the original Scream, and they were just like, we're not going to beat around the bush. We're going to give you a great Randy-Dewey scene where they both like completely play up to their type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, just starting with them watching the end of the interview of Tor Spelling. Oh, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, the, what's with the limp anyways? You're stabbed in the back. Severed Sever nerve. nerve. <laughs> God, I love this movie. I love this movie. I mean, it's not been clear. I love this movie more than I love Scream. So fucking deal with that. Um, I think, I think complaints wise, the big one for me is, is like you said, the characters not being totally fleshed out, some of the new characters, so you don't quite feel them as much. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing it, it adds at times is like it reminds you that like our main characters that we know are more in danger. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a few complaints, and these aren't like huge complaints. Um, I feel like they're... Are moments in the opening and in that film school scene where the movie might get a little bit too cute with like the movie and jokes and references. Like it's a very fine line to walk. Mm. And I could see how for some people that's like, you know, they stepped over a little. Mm. Um, Sydney's oh, sorry. I have, a big one. I have a big one when you're done. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Sydney's story arc. I feel like is like we said, a little bit muddled. Like it seems like it should be kind of PTSD. But instead, she also has like boyfriend drama at the same time, which I feel like doesn't really go anywhere or add anything to the story. No. Um, Cece's death, uh, you know, Sarah Michelle Geller there. I feel like it was pretty unnecessary and not very inspired. And the exact opposite of the iconic role when she originated on TV. That and it just like it's like, why is this actually in the movie other than that? You just like wanted to like have another famous blonde to kill off. Like, what is what are we accomplishing? Also, this stupid name thing, the pattern. Oh, yeah, no, which like um, doesn't isn't followed. One one last thing, and then you can go. Um, 
just RIP Randy, man. Like I had gone too soon. Mm-hmm. It was unexpected. It was shocking. Yeah. But I feel like on some level, I'm not sure if Kevin Williamson totally grasped like the character's popularity. Like mm-hmm. I don't, cause I remember everybody was pissed when they killed Randy and he was just like, Oh, that was the point. And it's like, I don't know if you realize that people are in, as into this character as you thought. Well, especially with the bullshit nature by which they worked in the cameo for him in Scream 3. Oh, God, yeah. A movie itself, which is also a Mobius strip of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my big one is not enough fucking Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> uh, this is like my favorite era of Sarah Michelle Gellar, too. Like, um, I don't think I had fully outed to the world by the time we first watched this movie. Like how intense and weird my crush on Sarah Michelle. I think Gellar I was, was aware. You were aware of only just the littlest bit, just, <laughs> just the tiniest. Just the, the iceberg that's above the water. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, like it goes back way far to all my children to fucking Swans, Swans Crossing. Crossing. Yeah. yeah, and then I was like, oh shit, she's in this movie. Oh shit, like, and then, and then she goes far too soon. Um, mm. But she's she's amazing every. Every scene that she's in, uh, especially the film class scene, which she has to die because she says the um, exact opposite of Mickey's uh, philosophy for why he would commit yeah. murder, too. Uh, not enough yeah. sermon. All right. Well, general discussion. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the whole leak script and whatnot? Yeah. So um, I can't remember how much of it was, but there was a leak script in which subtle differences, I believe <clears> – <throat> Dewey was like a campus cop to be closer to Sydney. Mm-hmm. The big thing was at the end. Randy the was the cameraman. Yeah, Randy was the cameraman. The um, wasn't Derek making a documentary too? Like it wasn't Mickey. I believe um, Derek was the film school student. Yeah. Yeah. So the killers were Derek and Hallie. I guess really it gets really complicated. Derek and Hallie were the killers. Ooh, Sydney. Then Mrs. Loomis shows up as their backer. She kills the two of them. Or then like they Cotton, kill each other or something. Yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Then Cotton shows up, and it's kind of the same sequence as plays out in the movie. And then um, Cotton has a, a, a turn of character, and he kills Mrs. Loomis. And then him and Sydney wrestle. Well, like, some like Gail them. gets murdered in there too. Like Mrs. Loomis yeah. maybe shoots Gail or something. I I, I read it because I yeah. was fascinating. I read it after I saw the movie. Thank God. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, then eventually Sydney and Cotton kill each other. And well, eventually die the script gets side. to a point where it's just like that's all I've got so far. But like. Basically, like the movie ends with Sydney and Cotton, they're both like dying side by side. Yeah, like which is fascinating considering he sold Scream One with five page treatments for Screams Two and Three, which makes me wonder what Scream Three was in his original thing. I know it involved going back to to Woodsboro, but like a new heroin, maybe. Well, this to um, me kind of suggests that maybe he was like didn't want to go do the franchise anymore or something if he's trying to kill off the lead character. Quite possibly. But uh, it has the the infamous line. Uh, Commissioner Gordon has a beer and cheese on his wife. No, I'm kidding. Um, it has the infamous line of uh, like blah, blah, blah. Wes will make it scary. Yeah. Yeah. For the CC <laughs> stuff, which I, I think is evident in that scene. Which, um, you know, Wes Craven takes that scene about as far as he can. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing about this movie, though, is that this leaked, and so they went and rewrote it, and they're pretty much, like, writing pages on the fly. Somehow, they shot this whole movie in, like, seven weeks, too, which yep. is faster than, for instance, like, the first Twilight movie. Um, so they didn't, like, none of the actors knew where their character was going or anything, whether or not they were the killer. And so 
it's hard to really look at and be like, ooh, that's a clue because, you know, the actor didn't know that. Like maybe this, this writer didn't even know it yet. There is there is one of Mickey and it's just his obviously casting aspersions on Derek. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, I feel like um, Elise Neal had to be like, I'm pretty sure Hallie's not the killer because I'm barely in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the movie. What do you think about the opening sequence here? I I love it. Um, so D'Angelo starts the movie. We get this uh, conversation between Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith. Um, I think it was Jada Pinkett Smith at this point. I, no, uh, I think it was just Jada Pinkett at this point. The wonderful Jada Pinkett. Uh, buying a ticket. Uh, you know, <laughs> so Omar, I've always liked Omar Epps, but like Sandra Bullock for seven fifty? No, thank you. <laughs> How did you feel about Maureen here? Because on rewatch, I was just kind of like, damn, like. Give the dude a break. Like, come on. He's got some free tickets. He just wants to see a movie. A, a little bit. But at the same time, what she's saying is not inaccurate. It's not inaccurate, but it kind of feels a little like uh, have your cake and eat it too. Like, oh, look how woke we are now that we had uh, our first movie that had no black people in it. And now yeah. now we have diversity in this movie and we're going to make fun of horror movies that don't have diversity. It's like, mm, I don't know if you totally earned that. Which is funny because, like, in the film class scene, they'll squeeze in, like, five black extras, but only one guy gets to talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, I feel like for a certain mindset, Marine speaks the words of this generation, which is, I read Entertainment Weekly. I know my shit. <laughs> Back when Entertainment Weekly was a, a, a necessary read. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know that I would want to actually participate in this movie going experience here. With all these douchebags like screaming and like stabbing with glow in the dark knives constantly. So real quick, the Usher is a woman who won who won this role via an yeah. MTV contest to be in the movie. Um, I am fascinated by these fans because this is opening weekend. This is devotion. This must be you must have had an intense good promotion. Well, in addition to the fact that it's based on a true crime murder spree. This is where I'm like, what do Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven, like, what are they really trying to say here? Is this is this their ideal of an opening weekend? Like, are they maybe a little full of themselves right now that there'd be this kind of like, you know, rapturous joy for the, the opening weekend of a, you know, rich from the headlines movie? Well, this was kind of like, this is kind of my thing with like Kylo Ren. You know, they started selling all the merchandising before the movie came out. And I thought to myself, well, I'm not wearing a Kylo Ren mask to the opening not that i could you gotta, you gotta know who it is yeah yeah i don't know i don't know if i like this character why would i wear like a kylo ren outfit to the you know opening midnight whatever but yeah. um also the tagline for stab is this is gonna hurt <laughs> love it uh, but i was watching this and i'm like tell me more about stabo vision stabo vision looks like some bullshit like hey we're just gonna shine a black light at you while you watch the movie like well, that think- would suck that would be so dumb you could make the argument that the only person who actually watches it in Stabo Vision is Marine and Phil. Yeah, yeah, really. Like, <laughs> it, it, it makes no sense at all. Like, let's make everybody in the audience glow in the dark. Yeah. That, that'll improve your movie-going experience. Uh, but, uh, yeah, LOL at the movie from the movie version of Casey, getting naked in a psycho homage. <laughs> yeah, you got the psycho homage. I do think Heather Graham is doing what she can here to kind of uh, recall Drew Barrymore a little bit, you know, yeah. like she's playing it blank, like she's not a good actress, but at the same time, I feel like you can see a little bit of Drew Barrymore there. Which is a good reminder, too. I felt like that nobody actually knows what the fuck was said in that conversation. 
Well, because the the dialogue here is just like less snappy and interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote down the line. I don't know if you noticed too. How cheesy smooth is the guy who gets Marine's popcorn and soda? Yeah, that I don't know what's up with that guy. I wonder if that's like another cameo or something. Well, Although then, she she orders no butter, which like what kind of psychopath are you? And then the one woman in line behind her who has waited until she was in line at the concession stand during the beginning of the movie to note and complain about the crassness, the exploitive horror in that movie based on a real story. Who goes I, to get popcorn at the beginning of the movie? I, that I can't handle. I'm like, why? You guys should all be in the theater right now. Also, like yeah. everybody yelling and screaming in the theater. I'd just be like, can you can you shut the fuck up now? The movie's seriously. Are. Seriously, <laughs> the way they like—I mean, this is like some Rocky Horror shit where they're like all like playing along and like you know standing up and like screaming and making stab motions when everyone gets attacked. Like, well, the one guy's just that like, doesn't kill, fly with kill. me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Which would, be, would be great if you had seen this movie one time before, but uh-huh. uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, then. Then I remember like, having my mind fucking blown by Phil's death. I don't know why. <laughs> um, the voices in the bathroom stall, I had to wonder if those were like a, a Black Christmas reference. Well, um, you know, Phil's death, I, you know, in the in the script we wrote, semi-inspired by this movie, I feel like there's a little bit of that in what we wrote. Getting stabbed I'm, in the head. A part of the head, yeah. I'm kind of shocked that we went through the entire Scream episode without talking about that script. I know, and I don't know how indulgent it is to mention it but yeah we definitely wrote a horror movie script after watching these movies yeah that's the thing that happened which parts of that i'm still super proud of Mm -hmm. um we can't talk about but the title i think is genius yeah um so god teases yeah uh i can't imagine that you could plan the murders in this opening as well as they happened yeah especially if you're going for the names like these yeah. specific people. I did like the shot where uh, he goes into this bathroom with these weird hieroglyphs on the wall. Mm-hmm. And the two uh, ghost face guys just like turn around and look at him at the same time. Yeah. yeah. It's so weird, but I like it. Also, you like the fact that the theater is called the Rialto. Yes. You like it the big way. Um, yeah, I love that by the time that fake Phil returns, like Maureen is totally into the movie. Uh, of course, yeah. <laughs> I like how they, in the shot in the movie of uh, Casey running and getting stabbed, it's even like less realistic than it is in the first scream where it's like obviously a fake prop knife. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I was reading, there's apparently even like a bit during that sequence where you can see the shadow of a cameraman in the original and they like, they do it in this one too. You know, just oh, like as a joke. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, this I guess is- it's, there is something of like, the being murdered surrounded by people who don't realize what's happening because they're so into something that it's in a movie theater doesn't totally track for me Mm. just because this isn't like a normal movie theater behavior. But I mean, I like the general concept. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what makes it work though is that, that amidst the frenzy, these people are celebrating like this horrible thing happens of which, you know, they're all going to walk away quite possibly feeling a little guilt and complicitness too um well you can see if this was like a sporting event this would make a a little more sense you know if everyone's cheering or something but this is i guess how we celebrate this kind of i guess i guess this is how people go to horror movies is they they lose their shit when everybody gets attacked well and it's funny is they don't 
they kind of skip over it a little bit, even though th- there's a touch of it there. But this this was a real life event. Like, and they they do the whole twenty four hour news cycle thing of the, the Gail Weathers character. But like Nancy Grace would cream herself like having Woodsboro murder, especially oh, yeah. like when Drew Barrymore's character dies, because like a dead white girl in rich suburbia ratings cha ching. Um, Did you catch the bit where like? The one dude notices that he's got blood on his shirt. It looks like yeah. carrot top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, this dude has this like lustrous, like long flowing curly hair. <laughs> Can we talk about it real quick? How gross carrot tops actual faces. It's extremely gross. And the fact that he's really buff too, makes it so much creepier. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know that the image of her climbing up in front of the screen and screaming, like, I don't, and everyone takes their mask off like, oh, what have we done? Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm not quite sure what they're reaching for here. Like yeah. some sort of like moralizing, it feels like. Uh, I I allow it just because as weak as it is, it, it does kind of come back in like the actual killer's motive. Uh, yeah, motive or attempted motive, hopeful motive. Um, so it's like to his mind, this is fucking perfect. Uh, new title, logo way better as i said yeah they they say that for after the the opening sequence then we get the eels playing in the background yes lucky day in hell it's a fun soundtrack this is a heck of a dorm room here yes i wrote that down her her dorm is fantastic like she is so lucky to have this dorm where do you think they're supposed to be because i know they film this in georgia yeah i have i have it's windsor college windsor is a suburb of santa rosa but i don't think it's supposed to be like just outside of town um, I don't know if you were from California, why you'd ever go to a college in Georgia, if you could help it though. Word. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess it's implied that it's, it's somewhere. Is it it's supposed to be California? I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. I mean, it's definitely like architecturally, it's definitely Georgia. Uh-huh. Like I remember watching this, thinking like it, it seemed like a weird design for their college, and then when I listened to the commentary and they filmed it outside of Atlanta, I was like, "Oh shit, that makes sense." Um, of course, unfortunately, by that point, I lived in Georgia. But yeah, <sighs> you get the Kevin Williamson cameo. Part. Yeah, interviewing TV. Cotton. Cotton, who seems just like an affable dork. Yeah, he doesn't seem a whole lot like the you know we never heard him speak before in Scream One, but he looked like some kind of like kind of thuggish like hard guy with like long hair you know like kind of like trashy but now he's all cleaned up and charming and and a dork um Mm -hmm. also i just i feel like in general college sydney has more character she has more presence um she's definitely grown up a little tougher into her ptsd you know post scream world role um yeah i wish i could say the same thing about hallie i feel like they don't really give her much to work with Except that she knows everyone's class schedule. Yeah. And she's the roommate. And then it, it kind of seems like they're like this is a sorority chick running up to them. Yeah. Well, she's wearing a sorority thing, but like this isn't a sorority house. Right. I guess well, it's just a dorm room. I mean, Hallie's trying to, you know, pledge. So. Yeah. I like the, 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 the shower tote. That's a nice college detail there. Tote of um, toiletries. So yeah, then we get we get film class, we get Sarah Michelle Geller. Hey, real we quick, a- can I just mention Hallie appears to have a queen bed in her dorm room. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, good luck in the other dorm room getting that. Um, the film class is fascinating because it has Buffy Summers and Pacey Witter discussing the influence of Vines and Semina 
in cinema with Timothy Oliphant. Did you get the vibe that maybe uh, maybe Cece and Randy were like kind of eye flirting a little here? A little bit. I think she has to appreciate his uh, his wisdom. Well, I feel like there's I don't know what they're doing with Randy at first in this movie because he's like his whole like I'd let the geek get the girl thing. It seems like he's he's like beyond that i guess i don't know like he's like kind of dressed like cool dude with like a goatee and whatnot like are you really still having trouble getting the girl because it doesn't seem like it at this point you know like you're like the cool film school guy now 90s or so i tell myself i it seems like he's done okay for himself but like somehow the thing that works for nobody else is he probably talks about his like unrequited crush on sydney and like shows the scar and somehow that helps him seal the deal with people. I don't know. He's got sideburns. He's got a goatee. Yeah. Didn't you grow a goatee to go off to college? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that in a little bit <laughs> when, when he gets to a different outfit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, this, this is not how film school works. If there's anyone out here there who's maybe not going to college yet and they're wondering what film school's like, it's not like this, unfortunately. I was very disappointed to learn that. Twenty-five film theory does not. You do not sit around discussing the merits of sequels. No, just talk about Eisenstein. Twenty-five people in this uh, in this class, and it's dominated by five, Uh including Pacey. One of them is Pacey. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, Randy fucks up the the aliens line. Like he's wrong. It is the other way around. Ooh. Maybe that's a a harbinger. Sarkana. Yes. Like at a certain point, this scene devolves into like somebody mentions a movie and he does an impression from it. You know? Yeah, yeah. This was this was the thing in the nineties, though. You had that knowledge, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, Mickey immediately seems a, at least a little bit suspect. I mean, just look at him; it's Timothy Alpha. Yeah, he's he got looks crazy a, hair. Yeah, he looks a little hardcore even before uh, Randy refers him as the freaky Tarantino film student. Um, mm-hmm. But this is this is just a fascinating. Though. This is such a film student thing, though I think, or or, or an art minded young person thing, turning real life incidents of violence in your backyard into a serious discussion of like film sequels. That's that's mm-hmm. meta. That's that's a way of processing things you don't want to talk about. Yeah, when in reality, there'd be some. Jackass being like, oh, uh, actually, I was inspired to make food movies by uh, Itumama Tambien. And it's just like bullshit. No, bullshit. You never even saw that movie till you're in college. Like, What's the real movie that inspired you? Terminator 2. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, so Sydney shows up. They have a chat. Uh, Randy's just like so aware of his environment that he knows when Superboyfriend Derek shows up, played by Jerry O'Connell. Oh, Derek. Should we talk about there? Oh, wait, before that, can we talk about the British accent that Randy deploys out of nowhere? Yes. Uh, uh, spotless. Spot- I mean, it's, it's, it's working. I almost wanted him to keep doing it. People I don't know why he's doing day. it. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can do this, I feel like you're not still obsessed with getting the girl. You know, like he seems pretty confident here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's just moved on at this point, but then it's still weird for him to like mention it. Like, that's something that really mattered to him, you know? Yeah. With the, the, the little, uh, like, Banaka or whatever, too. That was a bit much. <laughs> this is Binaka. why I think they needed to not kill Randy. Like, I feel like Jamie Kennedy's just taking off here. 
Well, I remember like all the rumors, the rumors before Scream 3. One of them was that Randy had a twin brother. Obviously, Randy which, shouldn't have been killed, yeah. Which is why I talk about – one of the main reasons I talk about the DNA that eventually could lead to things like PLO. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Fucking> Randy twin brother. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, all inside jokes apply, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you can't afford a Z – if you don't know what a Z job is, you can't afford a Z job. Sorry, mm-hmm. that's a bad call. Um, yeah, Derek – Oh, Derek, you're so boring. Before Jerry Connell came off as a super creep. Um, when he yeah, was I don't still, get a creepy vibe from him. I just No, no, I no, 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 no. I mean the actor, like later on. To no, me, I, it's me too. I just, I don't know. That That's all you, I think. Really? Like the whole Tomcats movie and then just everything forward from that. But like. I feel like, uh, are you like uh, holding, what was the name of that awful uh, like Rashomon rape movie that he was in with like Tara Reid? You know what I'm talking about at all? Was it one of those ones where it's like a stag party and they murder the hooker? It was like a bunch of different perspectives on like whether or not he raped Terry. It's a terrible movie, but it like he was like some dipshit quarterback in it. Um, I just body shots. That's what it was. Terrible, oh, terrible what a movie. Title. Yeah, I mean that that could certainly influence your opinion of him. I would say because he was just like a total dirtbag in that. Well, prior to this, he was sliders, and yeah. he was the chubby kid from My Secret Identity. And uh, of course, stand by me. Stand by me, yeah. Uh, yeah. Somehow that came last in my memory. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I don't hate Jerry O'Connell. I don't hate his character in this. I just I'm like, why are you here? Like I don't know. Like every everything he has to do in this movie is just kind of boring to me. Well, exactly. He his whole point I think is to have no charisma, which he assails perfectly. So much so that I'm like, why are you here? And then I'm like, oh, because he's here to have no charisma, which he does perfectly, and it's just this loop. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we, we get a glorious intro of uh, Gail Weathers here. Well, well, hold on. So, so at one point, as they're doing their walk and talk, walk and talk, which is, I guess, we forgot was born in the nineties. Um, Derek says, "Is there anything I can do?" And you see in the background is Randy Mouse. No. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and, and Mickey, the free, freaky Tarantino film student, never without like a little uh, like Super Eight camera in his hand there. Yeah. 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 So they. They walk over to see this press conference forming. Gail Weathers triumphantly returns in like a a new, more fashionable wardrobe and some truly amazing hair. On point from the, mm-hmm. from the moment she marches into her first frame. Yeah. We meet Joel, the cameraman. Shot the local bingo finals. Almost. Another character who I feel like could have had more going on. We meet Debbie Salt, the yeah. kind of the new foil for Gail, you know, because Gail has some level of emotion now. She's been involved in it, so we need a new annoying reporter to be worse than Gail, basically. I like that they at least they'll put Debbie Salt like in the background of scenes. Even she's if around she's, a lot, uh, yeah. Yeah, she she at least gets like more screen time than like Hallie or Mickey. Um, and then she has that great move where like she starts off as like annoying fangirl and slowly turns into an interview about Gail Weather's responsibility for all this. Yeah. Local hack. Yeah. And Gail keeps uh, like Gail just takes over this press conference. Yeah, Gail, who we learn had calf implants. <laughs> mm. Oh, one thing I noticed too, um, just wardrobe wise, like all of a sudden Sydney's all in in like browns and like earth tones, like like dark colors, yeah. um, kind of suggesting like you know somewhere on the moral spectrum, like maybe maybe she's gone dark. 
Right, right. And it and it fits the general like revised Little Hamilton vibe they've assigned her. Yeah. And then of course the, the sorority chicks are all in pastels. Uh Portia de Rossi and Rebecca Gayhart, who I feel like I refer to as the twins constantly in my uh in, or the sisters, but sometimes the twins. Like it's like, it's like a weird shining reference mm. that I subconsciously made in my own notes. Well, I think this dialogue might have actually originally been for Cece, except like Sarah Michelle Geller was busy or something, so they couldn't do it with her. Well, she was like originally in the scene. There's there's yeah. a version of these where that she filmed something for the scene, and I would love to know what that was just because it would involve more of her in the movie, but you know. Yeah. Yeah, so uh eventually we get Deputy Dewey, his grand return with uh, this ridiculous score from the Broken Arrow that they use as a temp track and then like test audiences liked it. Well, it so they just kept it, it in. It starts off with this like sexy film noir jazz saxophone and then goes into the don 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 don. Yeah. Broken Arrow, by the way, a terrible movie. Also responsible for the name of Harry Knoll's stupid website. Fucking Tarantino. I'm not Tarantino. I mean, uh, John Travolta. John Travolta, yeah. Tarantino too, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Deputy Dewey, he's got a limp now. He kind of holds one arm like he's got some nerve damage, doesn't really move it properly. Uh, I think these are all great additions to the character. David Arquette is really in his own. Yeah. Well, and there's a sweetness to the screen movies, definitely like centered around the Dewey character that kind of matches the franchise's own dark heart. Um, but I like the the closeness and the concern between him and Sydney and Randy as like the survivors of all this. And yet there is the whole, you know, I'm just going to hang around for a while. Makes you wonder. Yeah. Makes you wonder a little. Could he be in town for nefarious purposes? He's he's suddenly here. Well, did he uh, town? I feel like somebody should have mentioned Tatum at one point. Yeah. In this scene, uh, I did like Randy. Like Randy's like, oh, I'm going to go say hi. Like, like, oh yeah, they they would know each other. He'd want to go talk to him gone through traumatic experience um, together but you know 23 minutes in do your mind just that everyone in the cast likely a suspect be it a he a her or a them <laughs> yeah then you get your uh your interview moment where gail just only gets slapped this time not punched <laughs> like backhand slapped yeah like an ambush interview <laughs> gail did she not know well, so then we, we cut to a college party. You know it's 1997 because they're blasting Dave Matthews Band. Oh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> Somebody's getting roofied to Dave Matthews. God, there was a time when fucking Crash Into Me would play on the radio like every half hour. <sighs> or what was the it's other one? Time. Satellite? Uh, Just, yeah. Yeah, Ants March, there was, you know. There was a lot of people who owned Under the Table and Dreaming. A lot of people. Um. Yeah, so we get to party. I love that Sydney sniffs that cookie that Hallie offers her and then tosses it over her shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get the whole CC sequence. Uh, well, the Porsche de Rossi, real quick. Hi. No, I really mean, I mean that. that. Hi. I feel like maybe they're a little over the top with the sororities just being like dumb bimbos. Yeah. But yeah, Sarah Michelle Geller on the phone, gabbing up her friend Selma Blair about the latest trials and tribulations of Party of Five. <laughs> <laughs> Flipping through the channels, eventually leaves it on uh, Nosferatu, a little Buffy reference. Yeah. It is weird to see her not beat the shit out of somebody who attacks her. Right, right. Like and it's then, disorienting. You're like, come on, Buffy. Yeah, and then the dread Ted calls. Fucking Ted. 
Well, this is like she was Ted. This is like her like season two Buffy look too, which is yeah. I, I know how you feel about season two Buffy. Um, but I love I love some of the dialogue in that scene though with uh, who's Ted? Oh my bad, I'm sorry. I thought you were someone else. That's okay. I am. You wish it was Ted. The um, the bit where the killer sneaks in in the background is pretty freaky. Yeah, I feel like that's oh, when, uh, that's a moment of of good imagination in the scene. Yeah, you mean when Cece's with Don? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, she's the silver sister for her her other sisters who are at the acid rain mixer. Drink with your brain. <laughs> yeah, and the phone rings again. You wish it was Ted. And then, I mean, this is literally the part in the script where it says like Wes does some scary shit here. And that's kind of what it feels like in the movie. It's like, well, we'll have her investigate some strange noises. Another phone rings. She answers it, and the killer's behind her. You know, it's like I don't know. They didn't really have a whole lot. You know, she she gets chased up the stairs, attacked, and thrown off the balcony. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's a, a character who does realize she's in a horror movie. Um, I like the Summer Blair thing on the phone. The kill, 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 kill. Yes, I love that. From Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> Yeah, I love the way, like how unserious her friend takes it. You know. Yeah, yeah. They they kill my beloved Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, it's cold blooded. The wiping the knife bit right there after she's been thrown off. Even though it doesn't well, like get a lot of stabbed a few knife. times, like straight through the chest, and then just tossed off a three story balcony. Yeah, isn't it like in the back, like right in the spine? Yeah, yeah, but like straight through to the front. You know. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the soundtrack cuts to. Well, I would say it's one of my favorite Everclear songs. The solid which, Everclear single, yeah. Never That's said weird. I was innocent. I should burn in hell for the things I've done to you is the opening lines. <laughs> uh, and then we get, of course, the uh, the established shot I mentioned. Dude's doing a keg stand and the uh, discussion of harmonica style being okay. In the background, uh, what's-his-face, um, Matthew Dude. Lillard is cameoing. I, I think he has, like, bleached hair, I think. I think he's also hugging uh, Timothy Oliphant somewhere yeah. in the background. Yeah, I mean, you can't tell it's him. He's blurred out, but like that technically is him there. He like yeah. visited the set. I, I the, this drama of whether or not uh, who's joining the frat. Like, I just I don't care, or the sorority. Like, just don't care at all. Yeah, um, I did like though. So everyone rushes off for the CC crime scene. We get another attack, and he's now in the now empty sorority house. To me, this was an interesting just like stepping up of the pace because I think usually you'd kill off Sarah Michelle Gellar's character and then like you would slow down a little bit, you know, but like they they go right for it. Like the killer just ran over here yeah. and continued the mayhem. Um, well, I do think so, they, they do a good job of like PLL does this too, like the, the fake uh, scary text or fake scary call versus the real one. You know, I mean, the score helps you out to know it's real, but it's kind of like there's something about the voice that lets you know, even though it's the same voice, it's like more real. This isn't a prank. This is the real thing. Well, and and I guess we dance around. It should be said too. PLL was so much of its time because in the '90s, we were still all about calling people. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the no ni- nowadays, yeah, we're just about texting. Don't call me. I don't want to hear your fucking voice. I want to say the phone that. Uh, Gail has in this is like a very popular phone for the time. Mm. But uh, yeah, so we get, you know, Sydney's trapped in the house at one point with the killer. Uh, we get the first instance of lovers separated by glass, danger facing one of them on one side, um, with Derek the trapped outside. Knife all the way through the door. I was like that. Yeah. 
they do a, a great job, I think, of exaggerating Dewey's limp and the thing of his hand <laughs> just to make you think it's fake. Yeah. Well, um, the the very suspicious injury. You know, he runs. Derek runs in, then off camera, he's apparently attacked and cut. We don't yeah. find him till later. You know. Well, and then just the great shot of Portia Rossi and Rick McGuire, like the girls from The Shining. The, yeah, it's a total Shining little visual cue there. And they're they're great just because of the fact that they show up at the end of the uh, the uh, play rehearsal attack. I mean, they would just, be interesting uh, killers, right? But it's like it just still it keeps you on the peripheral of like so many suspects. Well, because now the movie knows what you're looking for, so it's going to play with that. You know, they they already tricked you once the first time, so now you're extra on guard. So they're going to give you all these extra. You know, it's like clues for the person who's too clever for the normal clues. You know, we're going to try to fake you out by by like being real subtle about something and making you you know led down this uh, red herring pathway. Yeah. So cut to the hospital where Derek's getting checked out. The Alphant has like his only real one-on-one scene of Sydney prior to the ending. In it's which like he says, a nothing scene, yeah. He just needs to realize that the 90s is no time to play hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why would anyone go back in that house anyways? Which works because Sydney's like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, what did you think even when she first sees uh, Derek bleeding there? I felt like there was already a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, she's her eyes are wet, but she's kind of like resolute, breathing hard. I feel like somewhere in her brain, there's some gear turning on this, you know. Well, either that she's going to bring like destruction to everyone in her life, and or could could this be like is that that wound like serious or not? Could this be? Well, she she saw Billy and Stu stab each other as part of their alibi, so she doesn't know what to think now. They tricked her by having the fake stabbing of Billy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the next I thing I have in my notes is the the weird blackboard scene. I like before that you can see Joel, the cameraman, outside reading the book. Yeah, Whisperer yeah. Murders. Uh, yeah, this blackboard scene's ridiculous. Like this sheriff is just gonna like read in Dewey and Gale and like, hey, can you he help me solve this crime? Which number one feels like murder? She wrote logic. Um, but secondly, like if you're going to like go over this with them on the blackboard, like why won't you let them use a VCR <laughs> to watch tapes? Yeah, really. Well, like is Dewey still a cop? Is he like on disability or something? Well, yeah, if he's not like if he's on medical retirement or whatever, like how does he carry like all this authority? Like, yeah. Like, he's just like, oh, I'll go talk to the police. Like wouldn't they just laugh him out of here? Yeah. Our respected colleague here. Our consultant. It's not like he was a detective before or anything. Right, right. Um, I mean, he's, what, like 27 at this point? Yeah. Um, Scream 2 is refreshing in this modern age, though, just because it features a scene or a woman asking a guy to just smile. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dewey, Dewey's still not willing to totally trust Gail here. Yeah. And then more... Derek the boyfriend scenes that are just like yawn and then I I think I love you yeah followed by him awarding his stupid frat necklace to her like uh, just not into it Um, 
I mean, I, I'd say that's not entirely inaccurate to college. Just the the big plea for attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like like in high school, your your currency is like your your status and your popularity. Whereas in college, you're like your currency is like how much attention you can garner. So this kind of makes sense to me that he would do something big and dumb like this. And and also just all he fought in the background, his weird dance that he's doing. I, I don't know what's going on there. Well, you got you to fight your anonymity. Plus, like, like the romantic comedies up to this point have all been about, like, where the guy the does big moment, the big yeah. romantic gesture. Um, I like this when I first watched. That was my initial gut reaction. I like it now. It's definitely, I feel like, out of the norm for any other, like, cash-in horror sequel. It maybe works because Jerry O'Connell can't sing. Um, I kept thinking, like, wouldn't it be funny if he missed one of those tables as he was, like, jumping across? Um, I was waiting for him to do the cool thing where you kind of step on the chair and lean it over to get down, but he never did that. No, because that's all reserved for, like, Heath Ledger in <laughs> 10 Things I Hate About You. Yes. Um, which is, like, the big version of this. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I don't dislike this scene at all. Um, it's weird, though, at the end when she's like, you know, temporarily won over by him. They bring in like five seconds of an instrumental version of the Collective Soul song from the end credits. Also, what did you think about them like cutting in red right hand occasionally? Like that was like plain. That was like theme music for Stab. I yeah. Think, yeah. At the beginning. I don't which know, is I don't know which is that. interesting as you go even further up the movie's own asshole. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this uh scene with Tori Spelling as Sydney and Luke Wilson as Billy, like they're just really sticking it to Skeet Ulrich here, and I like it. Yeah, yeah. So r- r- just a refresh. It's Tori Spelling as Sydney, as as prophesized from the previous movie. Yeah. David Schwimmer as Dewey. <laughs> yes. The guy who drove a stagecoach in one episode of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, is Randy. And, of course, Luke Wilson in his best role ever as Billy. Except for uh, concurrently. Uh, I was going to say concurrently the OR nurse in the Rushmore. I, I think I think uh, Richie Tenenbaum. you got to give him some credit there. Bomber. These are his, these are his OR scrubs. Oh, are they? <laughs> uh, and also Heather Graham, of course, as Casey Becker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't find out who plays uh, Tatum. No, no, we never see that part of it. Tatum is mentioned like once in this movie, even though yeah. it's Dewey's dead sister. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, we already talked about this great scene between Randy and Dewey. They discuss the suspects. Get some more Joel having some second thoughts, and then the whole theater scene. <laughs> Gutted. Throat slash. Either way, the guy ain't in the union. Yeah. I mean, this must be like some sort of like tech dress rehearsal or something because they're doing everything. Yeah, they are. They've got costumes. Uh, they've got effects. They've got lighting. I've I've always liked David Warner's. Let's, let's be real. His voice. He has that fantastic British actor voice. I mean, he was the original Freddy Krueger. Um, but you you need his voice to sell lines like the battle for the soul is fought in the form of the <laughs> um but i like how his his pitch is that you know yes he has no understudy but look you're probably cursed to a short life much like your role so you might as well knock the hell out of the stage role on your way out yes because i have no understudy well and the just the way it's all shot with uh ghost suddenly appearing amongst all the other 
costumed killers. Like it's just very cool. It's very well done. You know, a lot of Dutch angles and like, you know, camera spinning around. Yeah, I mean, the choreography of all of this Magamandoff makes it seem like they should be singing. <laughs> um, like I said, I love when Rebecca Aaron pushed the Rossi show up under the, under the mask there. Uh, this scene in, in Ghostface's like, appearance occasion, he would just pop out, you know, do some jazz hands and threatening jazz hands at her, makes me hate the scary movie franchise even more. Yeah, because they, they ruined the iconography. Yeah. Although you could say a little bit, this movie having a hundred ghost face in the uh, theater maybe hurt that a little bit too. Possibly. Something like that maybe would have been better saved for like the Scream 3. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I did like there's this moment when we, the next scene's like Gail, Dewey, and Randy hanging out uh, with Joel the cameraman there. He's like carving himself something with a knife. And then he he just like leaves. He's like, I'll be back. Like he would be a good subtle killer choice because he's yet, kind of around, and he he leaves at key moments. Like you're definitely not suspecting him. And yet, he's I never suspected him. Yeah, um, that's why well, he'd also, be a good one, though, right? I guess so. Uh, we we missed over the Derek asking to get to say in the being broomed by. Uh, God, fuck off, Derek. Yeah. So uh, Gail smokes now, uh, you know, since when? Since the nude pictures on the internet, which were just her head. It was Jennifer Aniston's body, which I like that at least Joel the cameraman gets a laugh out of that. Can we talk about uh, Randy's look here? Yes. This was the look that I was like, I got to have that look when I go to college. He's got this like blue pattern shirt on with like a green kind of like light jacket over it. I went to a lot of Miller's Outposts and Pacific Sunwares back in the day. Looking for this right here. Well, the this, sideburns, goatee. I was like, I got to look like that in college. That's what the cool kids look like. The cut of the shirt, though. This is like, I don't know what they call us, but it's like it's in the same neighborhood as like, it's like cousins with like the bowling shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, the jacket reminds me so much of like the infamous jacket of, of like Kramer's mom's boyfriend on Seinfeld. Well, I think the yeah. lime green is kind of like, well, that's not exactly lime green. It's more of an avocado, I guess, but. This is, uh, I guess, Randy's colors because he wears that color in Scream One as well. Yeah, the hideous color. Yeah, it was. It was just a dark time when we had to consider that, like Jamie Kennedy and uh, uh, Vince Vaughn and Swingers were like some kind of like white guy fashion icons. I, I make no apologies. That's good look. I still think it's good look. Interesting. This is. I still got some our... old polyester shirts in my closet, and someday they'll be back in fashion. This is a good time just to mention our inside joke for our friend Steve, who loves your fashion. Mm-hmm. Wear your clothes. He would single white female you in a heartbeat. Like he would go passing a white female into full on Jamie Gum with you. Okay. Um, yeah, so Joel returns after uh, uh, Randy's unfortunate and timely Tragic. death with, with a Dunkin' Donuts product placement. Are we sure we saw the body? Yeah. yeah Maybe he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> that was what we were all clinging to. And the pre-internet era, yeah, we're just like he could, you know, rush to a hospital. Yeah, do some CPR. Administer. They said he was dead, so he wouldn't be attacked again. They faked it. Yeah, yeah, and then immediately Joel shows up again. I mean, that would be a good cover there. But instead, he's just like in 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 his next scene, he's like, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." He just literally leaves the movie. 
which I, I want to say I, I read was uh, I forgot the actor's name, but it was his choice. Yeah, he was like, my character would get the fuck out of here. And they're like, yeah. oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so then we cut to Sydney getting a, a deadly IM in the library. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then Cotton Weary showing up in like a, just a gray hoodie. I feel like maybe this movie didn't do enough with Leo Schreiber's physicality. Because he's 6'3 in real life. Like, he's a big dude. And you don't notice that sometimes just because of the way they shoot things, you know? Like, where he's, like, literally standing on steps below her. So uh-huh. he doesn't look that much taller than her. But, like, I don't know. I feel like they, they missed out on something here. He's aggressively intense about this Diane Sawyer interview. It's Diane Sawyer. Um, I mean, they make sure that you see his boots, like the killers, as, as yeah. he backs her down the stairs. Also, I want to hear a little more about what he's got going on the side of this 900, 900 number. 900 number. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Ten thousand plus what he's got going on the side. What what exactly is that nine hundred number? What do you get when you call it? Is it just cotton? <laughs> it's hundred percent cotton. Yeah. Um which that joke is just killed in the opening of Scream Three. Anyway, yeah. we'll get there. Um yeah, so Dewey and Gail come back together, decide to go through Joel's crowd footage to see if the killer stands out from watching everything. Well, I, um, I do like briefly the the scene in the uh sheriff's where cotton is just being very crass, you know, like until you see me standing over a body with a bloody knife in my hand, you know, I love it. Yeah. Um, they end up in like one of the, the giant lecture halls of uh, the college, which I think is funny because it's, it's obviously not the film discussion classroom. Not that uh, big of a lecture hall, but yeah. Well, compared to like, the film discussion classroom. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, get another little meta moment as the characters get to watch one of their own exchanges from earlier in the movie, which is, Almost as good. I mean, I guess parts of Scream 3 had me worried that, like, Dark Helmet would show up and pop in a VHS of Spaceballs <laughs> the movie. Um, We're at now now. Yeah. <laughs> Ludicrous speed. Uh, I like that Gail gets on top when they start getting, like, romantic. And Dewey goes straight for the boob. Well, were they just kind of bang, like, on top of the lectern in this but, auditorium? Yeah, they were. <laughs> uh, I mean, these two are adorable. It has to be said. Like the, the chemistry is real and it, it makes such a difference. Yeah, yeah. Um and then of course we get the great, like you said, the the chase through the editing bay, the uh the sound recording studio. Um you get another great sequence of like the lover separated by glass. I mean, but with, this time it's with no Dewey. audio. Yeah. Yeah, it's Dewey, it's heartbreaking. I mean, especially when he gets thrown back against the glass after being stabbed, and it's just like blood spitting out of his mouth. Can't get her attention until he grabs a little microphone. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I mean, that's just that to me says that at some point Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson have just like idly thought about horror movie situations in the sound bay, you know, like, like this is something where they're like bringing some, some of their own experience and creativity. Yeah. Um, so, uh, city takes off with the cops, um, and Hallie, they kid the, the frat guys like kidnap Derek, they strip him, tie him up, have a kecker halfway in his boxers. This seems like kinky college fun. Yeah, that, that definitely happens at colleges all the time. Um, Hallie would, to me, be a good suspect just because of her desire to constantly be around Sydney. Yeah. She's just like, I'm going too. I'm her roommate. It's like, oh, okay. Which which I feel like they had mentioned that Hallie was coming earlier, which kind of yeah. steps on a little bit. Um, uh. Too horror, too horror. The possibly gay cop says, don't ask, don't tell. 
Oh, is that? Yeah, I, didn't, I missed that entirely. Okay. Yeah, the yeah, when they asked you, they're going, the one guy's like, later. yeah. The one guy's like, if we tell you, I have to kill you. The other guy's like, don't ask, don't tell. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, of course, just the the fucking brilliant like tension as they have to climb out of that broken police car well, over the body. There's something glorious about Ghostface driving a car. Like yeah. it's just like him like behind a steering wheel is funny. Yeah. yeah. Funny and scary at the same time, you know. Like this yeah. was before that iconography was ruined. Yeah, the the fucking steel uh like pipes going through the dude's skull. Oh man, that's awesome. Yes. Totally fucked up. Um the temptation to unmask the killer or not, which obviously they should have done before they ran over to the one thing and then and then came oh, back. She changed her mind and then Hallie gets got. Yeah, Callie gets got. Um it seems it gets an got amazing- fairly uh she just gets dispatched, you know. There's not a whole yeah. lot there. It's the old uh, medium shot. Oh no, something gonna happen. Yep, there's a killer. He stabs her. She's gone. She she gets a death fitting to like how the rest of her character is presented in the movie, which is pedestrianly. Um, there's an. It seems like an amazing feat though for them to corral Sydney to the theater where Derek is still tied up for the big epic finale they planned out. Yeah, well, Cotton shows up. He's bloody. Sydney, or and then we get Debbie Salt outside. Like, oh my god, the killer's yeah. Cotton Weary. Sydney is apparently Cotton just fucking weary. Yeah, yeah, attracted to the music. I guess she assumes like, oh, they're doing something in the theater. I'll go there. People will be there. You know, mm-hmm. seemingly the the rest of the college is all I don't know. It's some party elsewhere. Right. There's a lot of murder keggers happening. Even though, like. Wasn't this where they had the kegger with, uh, with Derek? Or did yeah, they just yeah, move? that's yeah. why he's still tied up. Yeah, because he's still there. Which, they just all cleared out to the after party. Let's go. Let's have an orgy. Leave Derek here. Yeah. Uh, to Derek's stupid line of like, "Oh, I thought I was gonna be here to opening night." Um, yeah. So we get the reveal that uh, that Mickey's the killer. Um, he he revels in like the mind fuck, the idea that Derek could be in in on it. You know teasing that option still um and then just shoots him yeah just kind of another very perfunctory death i feel like bring home the mom if you had a mom if you had a mom and then then the debbie salt thing which restored my faith in i don't know something or other because i was like i feel kind of bad for like roseanne's sister to just like be some some chick in the background <laughs> of this movie um which like this made me think like Laurie Metcalf is a much stronger actor than she's allowed roles to convey. I mean, she's like faded away into almost nothingness, but like I think she shows like a strange psycho versatility in this role. Um, she definitely gets pretty nuts by the end. Um, yeah, I feel like Mickey starts to get over the top's not the right description, but he starts doing something weird with his voice after a while. Like like he's adopting some sort of like Southern accent, maybe. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant is a bizarre creature. I mean, I think we can talk about one of one of our movies we both enjoy is Perfect Getaway, and he's just a tour de force. Like, I mean, Oliphant's on the wall, like he's, he's yeah, an official you know member of, of or no, that's backwards, but whatever. We're fans. <laughs> I mean, he's a fascinating being, and just uh, what is that shitty movie, Girl Next Door? Uh, like um, on the Head Cannon Wall of Fame, I think he's up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Along with um, Kingsley. Well, like just yeah, the weird voice. The uh, you got this little Hamilton going on. No, it's cool. No, it's I cool. Like I like it. it. Yeah, like what is he doing with his voice at that point? 
Uh, it, how did they beat? It's almost a little Travolta, maybe. Oh, right. Don't isn't that. isn't oh. he kind of doing that though? Uh, maybe he's going for a Tarantino cool. thing. I don't yeah, know, maybe. Uh, at least he's not like dancing constantly. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do they meet? Psycho website classifieds, of course. <laughs> uh, poor Mickey and his his trial doesn't get to happen. He just gets shot. Well, I love and that they shoot scale. <laughs> they they throw it in, in the kind of satire realm there with like you know the trial or the idea of blaming on the parents. I mean, which I guess reached its true crime culmination probably in what, like the Menendez trial? Well, see, this is where I think about the the leaked script. It wasn't, you know, that stuff at the end wasn't great, but I do feel like the Derek and Hallie back and forth about how they wanted to get caught, like, I feel like that was good material. Uh, like, yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like you could have gone further with it. Which, you know, I'm still, I'm kind of glad they didn't do like the trial third movie um i've never i've never read and or seen like the uh, the third dragon tattoo book so I, I don't know how that plays out trial wise well there's this whole bit where it's like De- how in the old script hallie and derek have showed up they've announced that they're you know in this together they can't wait for the trial they're, they're gonna like time it just right for the second movie and all this and then Debbie Salt reveals herself and she goes, okay, now who won the coin flip? And Hallie goes, I did. And then Debbie just like shoots her in the head. And then Derek's like, what the fuck? And then she shoots him. Like, it's so like, strange. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a, an extra twist. Just the, her introduction of, uh, I mean, I've seen pictures of Mrs. Loomis. Well, 60 pounds later and a lot of work. It's called a makeover. <laughs> it's called a makeover. You should try it. Yeah. Looking pretty tired yourself there, Gail. Um, but then, of course, so they have their 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 battle. Uh, the the girlfriend of her deceased son who lost her marriage to Sydney's mother. It's a weird loop between them. You can try to make some parallels to Agamemnon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's the literal psychological metaphor here, though, of her city taking control of her environment to battle the demons of her past in this drama. Um, and then Cotton returns. Uh, he has a pretty great negotiation tactic with Sydney, you know, for the interview. Just that Debbie has a knife to her throat. Oh, you know what that makes me think of in the uh, in the old script? They're talking about uh, you know the trial and whatnot, and and Derek says we're hoping for the death penalty. I had this whole dead man walking swan song exit planned, you know, like. Nice. Like they were really into the whole movie thing. Nice. But yeah, Cotton, he just he really wants that Diane Sawyer interview. And then as soon as Sydney's like, yeah, fine. He's like, all right. Boom. <laughs> I like the uh the bit where before Cotton shows up where she like turns on all the effects and the lighting, you know, mm-hmm. using that axe. There's that, that good shot of like through the people with her yes. holding an axe. When she has the axe, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if this uh, theater setup would be like up to code here. These are like some like Frankenstein, like old timey electrical switches she's throwing that like spark yeah. every time she yeah. throws them. I love it. They, they were doing it during the tech rehearsal. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is how David Warner cuts costs in his drama department. <laughs> it's like this is like the equipment from the 1910s or something. These huge ass switches that spark every time you throw them. 
Well, and so once Cotton hands the gun back, he like goes back to being like affable, like 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 nebbish Cotton again. Well, it's funny. Uh, it almost seems like they have him ducking through this whole scene, so we don't realize how tall he is and like how yeah. imposing he is. Yeah. Yeah, he, like they help Kale out of the uh, orchestra pit, and he's just like, "Jesus, Kale, you scared the Christ out of me." Is there anyone else down there? And then the, it, <laughs> I laughed hard, even though I I should have known this line was coming. The so much for reporting from the trenches. I don't know why I was like, "That's hilarious." <laughs> the uh, you know the Mickey comes back for one last scare. It's it's cheesy, but I love it. They just completely unload like twenty bullets into him, and he goes flying back through the air. Yeah, yeah. I uh, mean, this movie ends in a way where I was like, "Oh shit, the third one's gonna be fucking amazing." Oh, well, they just put a bullet in uh, Mrs. Loomis's head. Love that. Preemptive, yeah, yeah, just in just case. in case. Um, but yeah, like just the great, like you know, she throws it over to Cotton, you know, and he's just like, "There's a time and a place, and indeed a price for everything." <laughs> and her her marching off, which Hands felt like should have gotten card. Forth. Yeah, I should have got more like media fanfare, but um, yeah, I was just like, oh man, how can Scream Three not be great? That that does remind me. I love the bit when Cotton's leaving the sheriff's place earlier, and he still has to drop his card off for Sydney. He's like, Sid, if you change your mind, yeah, yeah. Which which Dewey grabs, mm-hmm. which is when I when I really started to think like Dewey might be suspicious just because of that stupid act. Yeah. Well, it really seems like every screen movie should end with uh Dewey getting carted away on a stretcher. Like somehow he, he always makes it. You know? Yeah. Well, he's, Gail, he's injured, but he's he's going to make it. Gail gives up the uh the limelight. The, yeah, the limelight to go with them and she's like, "I'm going with you, Dewey." And he's like, "Er, you are." <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> David Arquette just crushing it. Yeah. And yeah, then that's the movie. And then we get this like, not quite sure how they did it because this is like goes from like a fairly close shot and then pull back through the trees. This like helicopter shot, um, and we just get to see the college campus as uh, what is this? Collect a soul plays here. Yeah, classic '90s band. This was like I want to say like right before. I mean, they had that first hit with Shine, and then um, they were just kind of there. Well, no, was December the, would have been out. There was December, the world I know, but then they kind of started to fade, and then it was like the song from uh, uh, Varsity Blues. I yeah, felt like yeah. Propelled they had a them. little second coming. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that was the movie. Um, if you could make one change to this movie, what would it be? Uh, I would have a better movie follow it. <laughs> no, 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 come on. I don't know. I mean, just some of the characters getting beefed up i it's partially nostalgia but i i feel like rewatching this this movie still feels incredibly strong and fun to me mostly just fun so i don't know i can't think of anything all right well i got a big one let me throw okay. this at you okay lose everything relating to either the fraternities or the sororities no sorority girls no cc no Derek. oh i don't have to disagree with you there oh i know no, why no i know SMG. why you would but I don't. She. I don't think she adds anything to the movie. Like I think you move up the dress rehearsal with Agamemnon earlier in the first act. Mm-hmm. You don't have all this sorority shit, and Sydney's arc is just about her, you know, having PTSD. Like she doesn't need a boyfriend. Hmm. And then I think you could then make like say Mickey and Hallie the killers with Mrs. Loomis, like restore a little bit of that original ending there. 
I and just I feel like you give more screen time to everyone else. You give more to Hallie. You give more to Joel. You give more to Cotton. Uh, you give more to Mickey. Like that's only good things can come from that. I don't really dislike the idea of the the is Derek like evil and in on it or not. Um, mostly because with the nature of stab, like you have this like watered down retread that they're all mired in. So I think it's interesting that it kind of invades her real life too. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm not totally into those, those changes just because <laughs> there's definitely flaws in all of them in, in the, the sororities, the frats, all that stuff, but uh, just removing it and like replacing it with like the theater element. I don't know if that totally works for me without specifics, I guess. All right. Well, let's just, I, I, I love the, the depiction of the two sorority sisters. Um, that's obviously the SMG thing. But granted, yeah, you can find yeah, roles yeah. for all those actors. Anyway, yeah. So power or character rankings. Um, I'll go number 10. Um, Heather Graham as Stabs Casey is my, my number 10. Uh, I think she does a great job as the, the, the 90s Janet Lee idea of Hollywood movie starlet opening death. And the just ridiculousness of like, I don't even know you, but I dislike you already. <laughs> My my list line. is is missing a lot of people. I would acknowledge, but yeah, that's my number ten. My number ten is uh, Debbie Salt slash Mrs. Loomis. Um, I am not a big fan of this character. I think, uh, what's her face? Lori Metcalf is doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing with her. Mm-hmm. I just find her character grating. You know, it's it's exactly who she's supposed to be playing. I just like I'm just annoyed when she's on screen, especially all her like fake reporter stuff. I'm just like, go away, you're annoying. Which is what she's supposed to be doing, but I just like I just don't like it. Interesting. Uh my number nine is Hallie the roommate. Uh she's smart, she's loyal, she's such a small part there. She should honestly be my number ten, now that I say it. Mm-hmm. Uh my number nine is your favorite, Cece Cooper. She has a brief moment. She wished it was Ted, and then she's gone, and she had no real impact. I think it was nice to see her flirt with Randy and Pacey, but didn't make much of an impact. Um, my number eight is Lori Metcalf as Debbie Salt slash Mrs. Loomis. Um, I just want to say that there's it's a nice thing. There's a great big set there because her and the Oliphant do as much as they can to devour it. Like just chew it all up. Um, I like her, but it is kind of a mess. It's not perfect. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed some of the work she's doing as this villain more so than the, the annoying local reporter. All right. What are we on? Number eight. Yeah. I've got Phil Evans, Omar Epps. I like his character. Not a huge fan of Maureen. I felt I like Maureen was just kind of a killjoy, but I liked Omar Epps. I could have seen more of him in the movie. He seemed like a fun guy. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, what is number seven? Uh, I actually have Jada Pinkett and Omar Epps there. Um, I like Phil and Maureen separately. I don't, you know, other than the grisly murder, I don't see that relationship lasting very long. It seems like they're about to break up. Yeah. Well, at first I was like, is this a first date? But it, obviously they've been together for a while. Uh-huh. But it's, it's also, it's a relationship that's gotten to the, uh, I've got my money. 
I asked for your money. Yeah. <laughs> um, I find her adorable as she gets more and more into the movie. Um, well, yeah. it's, it just seems like everything before that is just her being negative about anything he says, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my number seven is Combo. I mean, I definitely cheated a little in my rankings this time. I have Hallie, Derek, and Joel all at number seven because I feel like all three of those characters just don't get enough. Hallie's the roommate. Mm. Derek's the boyfriend. Joel's the cameraman. If anything, Joel gets more than Hallie and Derek. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. Derek is just so, he's so blah. You know, Hallie, like, has no personality other than that she's, like, loyal to Sydney. Like there's just nothing else there. And I feel like there could have been if you just, there's not enough room, you know, there's just too many characters. There's no screen time to really flesh all these characters out. Right. Um, I really, I, I actually don't have Joel on my list at all. He should be, he should be 10 and Hallie should be 11. Uh, Derek doesn't make the cut at all on mine. Sorry, uh, Derek. My number six is the Oliphant as Mickey. Um, he he comes alive like in his killer monologue, which is just nuts and at least memorable. Um, unfortunately, I feel like I had forgotten when I first watched the movie. I had forgotten that he was a character until he took the mask off. And so for half a second, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? You hadn't seen him in a while. Uh, yeah. And then also from certain angles, when he first takes it off, there is a slight Ski Ulrich resemblance. <laughs> Yeah, and so part of me was like, was they kept talking about fucking Billy Loomis? You know, obviously setting up Mrs. Salt or Billy's Mrs. Loomis' twin brother. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh god, if, if like Ski Ulrich, if I have to sit through that. Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> but this is this is the the introduction of the Oliphant, really. So yeah, yeah, this is his first big role, and uh, all all glory since then. At number six, I have Cotton Weary, hundred percent Cotton. I feel like it takes him a little while to get going. I feel like we we needed to see his kind of dark side a little, his angry side to really fully appreciate the character. But uh, yeah, he's fun. Lee Shriver, he's great. Yeah, he is. Uh, which is why he's my number five. Uh, he believably walks that line between being a harmless goof and a threatening menace. And I am half tempted to say this is my favorite Lee Schreiber role. Really? Uh, Not um, uh, Sabretooth and Wolverine Origins? Not Sabretooth from Wolverine Origins. I've seen like an episode of Ray Donovan, and that show seems dumb to me. Lee Shriver is um, definitely a guy where I'm like, oh, I like that actor. And it's like, really? What did you like him in? And I'm like, um. Scream 2. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, my point exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he's actually done a movie with Naomi Watts. I was trying to think of that earlier. Um, oh, he's in The Fifth Wave. Never saw that. Yeah, neither did I. Um, yeah, so this. <laughs> That's oh, he's in Salt. Yeah, man, this is actually pretty brutal. Uh, I'm just looking at the uh, <laughs> couple CSI episodes. It's a couple CSI uh, episodes. The Omen remake, the Manchurian Candidate remake. He's he wow. needs a new agent. Some of all fears. <laughs> Kate and Leopold. Ugh. Yeah, you get a new agent, man. Oh, he's in Sphere. That's right. I did like him in that. I'm like the only one who likes Sphere. Can I can That's I give okay. you can I give you a little bit of a hot take? Yeah. Sphere, like the dividing line between Sphere and Arrival, I feel like it's not as far as people are willing to admit. It's a definitely the same 
genre with different tones. The thing, the book of sphere is, is fantastic. Um, the thing that, that, that bothers me about sphere is mostly the goofiness of Dustin Hoffman's character. I love Sharon Stone in that. I love Samuel Jackson, but I try to remember what the thing is, but there's something in the book where they, they do the exact opposite thing. Yeah, yeah. With Dustin Hoffman in the movie. And it makes it seem like I can't take the thing seriously at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Sphere is a bad movie. I don't know. I liked Arrival. I'm not as rapturous in my love for it as some people on the internet are. I feel like I've, I've seen some of the sci-fi concepts executed better elsewhere. Oh, he's also saw- in Phantoms. Oh, with uh, uh, Ben Affleck. <laughs> the bomb, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just God, fucking, just you just reminded me that they're coming in the third one. Yeah, yeah, they are. I James never saw Bob. I never saw Phantom. Or I, I guess I've seen like twenty minutes of Phantoms. Um, yeah, Lee Schreiber needs a new career. Too sweet. She following this movie. Um, I like Rival a lot. I went out and bought the soundtrack. Download the soundtrack right after the movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, number five is that where we are? Uh, yeah, that was that was my con. Okay, so I had Courtney Cox's hair at number five because that hair is amazing. You're very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Am I wrong? <laughs> She's got the red streaks, nice streaks. It combines your two favorite things: a brunette and a redhead. Uh-huh. <laughs> um. My number four is where I cheated just because I realized I was running out of options and I put in Dewey and Gale as a power couple. All right. Um, I don't think it's, it's super cheating. I think it works. Um, but yeah, Dewey is, is, is wonderful. I want to like David Arquette and everything as much as I like him in this. Um, same thing for Courtney Cox too. Hey, real quick, not to derail, but guess what Lee Shriver's next uh, project is that's on the horizon. Oh boy, what? He's doing some voice work for My Little Pony the movie. <laughs> Maybe it's like a favorite of uh, his. Uh, yeah, stuff. I don't know. My Little Brony. Um, All right. I got Mickey at number four. Mickey Altieri. I mean, you got to give it up for the girl. Is that his character's last name? Yeah, I had to look it up on the screen wiki because it's not in IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah if you had a mom I love Mickey there's He's not much even, there but Oliphant's just playing it for all it's worth well like compare Oliphant's career with Lee Schreiber's I mean I definitely feel like yeah that's a good point I feel like Oliphant like he didn't know he was the killer most likely till like way late in the process but I feel like he's decided he made the choice and I'm gonna play it that way the whole time you know yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's great even like in a nothing role, like in that stupid Gone in 60 Seconds, you know, movie yeah. where he's like Delroy Lindo's partner. <laughs> um, and again, Perfect Getaway is a tour de force. Uh, I've only seen a little bit of Justified. It's probably not a show I'm going to seek out, but like. It's worth watching. It's like that show is like he's like the fastest draw. Only he's like a U.S. Marshal and it's modern times, but like every episode, it still finds a way to like come down to how fast he can shoot someone, and the killing is always justified, of course. It's it's still as much as it doesn't interest me. It's still a show that I'll watch before I watch Ray Donovan. 
Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, I am a big fan of the uh, the special skill. Like, it's just like he's a, he's a, an awesome shot and a fast draw. Like, that's his thing. I'm like, okay, I can work with that. But I, I just, I feel like he finds the idiosyncratic weirdness in all of his characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point when, in your fan fiction, you pitched him as a Sith Lord. And then no, he no, no, not a Sith Lord. He was was a, he? He was a crime lord. Oh, okay. It's not not a Sith Lord. No, in my in my theoretical Star Wars Episode Seven before they they made the movie, he would have been like a like a gangster, basically like a Jabba level. Not not an alien, but yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it'd still be interesting. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, uh, you're number three, I think. Randy. Randy uh, Meeks. Like I say, he's definitely more on point in this movie. He's a tour de force. He he's. He's not like the cool, handsome guy per se, but he's like Isn't the. He he's the guy. Well, I, don't, I don't. I wouldn't call <laughs> Jamie Kennedy handsome ever. Uh, uh, he's okay looking in this. He has he has a weird weird head, and he falls into that weird category for for some of us guys who like like to think we're we're air quotes normal, where you're like. What is he doing dating Jennifer Love Hewitt? Uh, just like the guy who who married Christina Hendricks. Um, but like, there's something about there's like a you know you you do kind of wish you were this character. Um, it's kind of mm. on par with like the uh, Chandler Bingness for a certain guy. I feel like he's cooler than Chandler though. Really? Now yeah. this I want to hear people talk about who's cooler. Let's say. Early seasons, Chandler Bing versus Randy Meeks and Scream Two. Could I be any less cool than Randy Meeks? <laughs> All right, my number three is Sydney Prescott. Um, I like she eventually gets to a place that I like, but I feel like her storyline's very muddled in the first half of the movie. Like, gotta lose all the boyfriend shit. It's just boring. Like her, her having like PTSD. You know, maybe the killer was there, maybe they weren't during the play rehearsal and whatnot. That's good stuff. Um, I think they just need more of that, personally. Yeah. Uh, which is why she's my number two. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons you put. I I actually I really like Nev Campbell in this movie. I didn't, you know, going back to watch Scream One, I didn't like her as much in the first one. Um, I think she's a very interesting dichotomy because she does seem so incredibly tough in this movie but she's also very soft-spoken to the point where like um part of why i don't like that scene of david warner is her line delivery is so soft you know yeah well Um, i guess the thing with her boyfriend like i could certainly see her like having moved on and found found in a nice you know strapping young all-American boyfriend to date, like, good guy. But I could also totally see a reality where, like, she's just not interested in dating right now. It's only been two years. Like, she's still yeah. pretty freaked out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my number two is Randy Meeks. Good old Randy. The height of his powers. You know how I feel about Randy. Yeah. Um, I think you're non-sexually in love with him. Uh, so my number one, is it hard to guess? Is it? It's Buffy. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Wow. I can't believe you put her number one. She's absolutely my number that's one. That's shameless. Uh, it is shameless. And that's, that's the level of devotion I feel. I will fight anyone who disagrees with me. Okay. I'll fight I guess we have to fight then because <laughs> yeah. I didn't put her at number one. 
school. Choose your weapon. <laughs> Guns. <Pistols>. Swords. Yeah. <laughs> CC Cooper. If only Casey she were Cooper. Buffy. What? Yeah. Casey Cooper, yeah. Casey Cooper, yeah. Yeah, who's your number one? Uh, mine is a two for, as you already hinted at, Deputy Dewey and Gail Weathers. I think they are a power couple that takes over this movie from Sydney for like a lot of the movie. Because yeah. what's going on with them is just way more fun. Like they they have better chemistry together. The Gail plot line, like her arc of kind of being part of the news story now and having her own like annoying reporter foil, I feel like it's more interesting. You know, like her developing a conscience, that's more fun than what's going on in Sydney. Dewey is also at the height of his powers. Um, the limp, the, the just, I don't know, his his whole speech, you know, about, you know, his, his demeanor being a, a choice that he makes to lower people's expectations. Like all that is just fantastic. Everything about their characters is great. To, to the point where, like, she really took over as more of the lead of Scream 3. But I like the, even in the poster, where you have, like, the, the big face of yeah, they're both of them, the background. Yeah. yeah, you get both of them in this one. Because, uh-huh. yeah, she's definitely a co-lead here. It's like, this is now Gail and Sydney are kind of on the same level. Yeah. Which is, you know, so it's kind of funny. She had her own little em- uh, ending chase sequence and all that stuff and action sequence. And then... <laughs> mm. And then they hand it over to Sydney. Yeah, so that's well, what I'm, I mean, you could maybe say that's because she's Courtney Cox and Friends is huge and whatnot. But I feel like it it feels right for the characters, you know. Yeah, it doesn't feel like she's being forced in more than she should be. All right. Um. So that was my number one. Now, did you want to talk about some favorite horror movies? Sure. Sure. Um. The most recent horror movie I've seen that really had an effect on me was the entire year of 2016. Um, no. um, do you want to list off yours? What's that? Do you want to list off yours? I mean, I just have a long list. Like, I can just wrap How up long? Up. Like mm, 25 or so movies. Jesus Christ. It's just, I'm not going to like talk about every single one. It's just a list. Of I, I wasn't planning on talking about every single one either. That's just like a. You're like that guy in the Reddit thread where like you just post this massive list rather than just like one to talk about. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's you, a, you don't read the Reddit movies, but people no. you, they know. That's a weird that's a weird diss. It's not a diss, it's just I don't know. Sometimes you gotta you gotta narrow it down. Anyway, some top horror movies for me. Uh original Dawn of the Dead. I, of course, this is all excluding Scream and Scream 2, of course, which would be on the list. Uh, original Dawn of the Dead. Uh, the Ring, the U.S. version. Uh, we called The Others, which is uh, a men bar, like Nicole Kidman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Shining, of course. Evil Dead 2. And a little less seriously, but I still say this is a great movie, Club Dread. <laughs> I'm not really into anything recent horror-wise, so yeah. If I had to, if I had to list some top ones, those would be it. Okay, interesting. Was your seminal classics? Um, I have all of those on my list, so I will exclude them from repeating them, except for Club Dread, which maybe I should put on that list. Uh, real quick, uh, Zombie, the original Wicker Man, not the Nick Cage one. Wait Until Dark, The Vanishing, The Thing, Suspiria, The Shining, uh, Rosemary's Baby, Psycho, Night of the Hunter, Let the Right One In, the original, uh, 
Jaws, it follows both uh, first the the original and the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh the yeah, I should, I should have the original on. I'm a fan of the original. The Invitation, The Innocence, House, The Haunting, um, Halloween, Girl Walks Home at Night, Eyes Without a Face, the entire Evil Dead franchise for me. Uh, Cabin in the Woods, speaking of which, Dressed to Kill, Don't Look Now, Diabolique, Deep Red, Black Christmas, um, Audition, April Fool's Day, American Werewolf in London, which I think is criminal that Max Landis is remaking that. Um, I guess equally Alien and Aliens are very different mm-hmm. movies. I don't know if you call this horror, but sure. Uh, they're like sci-fi horror for sure. Uh, well, at least Alien is. And then, you know, just in general, I've somewhere about after watching Scream, like I really started to explore horror movies. I mean, like good and bad. There's like a thousand horror movies that I've seen that I might have enjoyed that I don't put on this list. But, you know, generally directors like De Palma, David Cronenberg, you know, some Hitchcock, which where the thriller becomes the horror movie. Some John Carpenter, Wes Craven, uh, Polanski, which does some interesting horror type stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would narrow down that request for somebody like me, you know, who's like that guy in the What's Reddit. Friend, apparently, your favorite horror movies. You gotta have I, some favorites. I have a lot. Mm, uh, you're just not making a decision. That's what I feel. What I feel like. No, it's really more of your problem than mine, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's a lot of horror movies. Yeah. So I guess, Kendra, I'd be more curious to hear what some of your favorite horror movies. Yeah, we will be back. Not next week because it's Thanksgiving, but I guess probably the week after. Something like that. Yeah. You know. Something like that. Sometime soon to do screen three. Uh, as you can tell, we don't have a huge amount of anticipation to do that one. But I don't know. I've only seen it once, so maybe... Something will jump out at me that I've never noticed before. <laughs> That's even worse than you remember. Or, yeah, or better. Who knows? Maybe there'll be something that I missed. I don't know. I mean, I've only seen Scream 3 and 4 once, I mean, as opposed to these movies, which I saw, you know, dozens of times each. So, yeah, Scream 4, I saw only once. Scream 3, I know I tried to rewatch it once, uh, like six or so years ago. Um, I didn't finish it. So, yeah. See you then. Happy Turkey Day. My least favorite holiday of the year. Good. Bye-bye.